RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Daniel Galvan, who little birdie tells me you've had a little time to catch up on the ultimate fighter. Yeah, man. Every other podcast I've been talking about, yeah, Jason, I'm going to watch the ultimate fighter. I'm going to catch up with the ultimate fighter. And I don't know who's listening, if it's God or if it's Hicks and Gracie, but I, I got the COVID. I got, I have COVID-19. I had the coronavirus. We've been doing this podcast since the pandemic, you know, and I don't think either of us have gotten it up until this point. Like we, we have, we have skate, we have been COVID free and here I am late in the fourth quarter throwing a pick six and getting the COVID-19. So I've had plenty of time to watch the ultimate fighter. And I've only seen four episodes thus far. I'm pacing myself uh, one 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 episode per day, Jason. Uh, but in terms of how I'm feeling, I'm feeling totally fine now. It was kind of rough in the weekend, but I'm feeling totally fine. And I've actually uh, watched four episodes of The Ultimate Fighter. It's, it's not lighting my world on fire, but I am enjoying it because I am a mixed martial arts fan. And it is nice to learn more about these fighters. So my plan is to continue to watch one episode per day. And by the time we get to the Ultimate Fighter finale, I'm going to have serious opinions about these fighters. I have watched uh, just like you. I watched the first four episodes, so it's good to hear. I, I mean, you text me that you had that you tested positive, and uh, yeah, I've never tested positive, but uh, I will tell you this, man. When I got that that booster shot, holy crap, that thing took me out. Like, bro, I was literally out for the count. Like, I remember, I I got it like noon. You know, this this was like this was back in January. It was right before the playoffs started, and uh, I got the booster shot, and then like got like noon at like eight o'clock, bro. It hit me. I mean, just yeah. like I mean, anyone who's gone, gone through it. Uh, I mean, look, obviously it's a personal decision. If if you do it, I just I started getting the chills. I came home and I was I was down for count for twenty four hours, bro. I mean, I know like part of this this shot is like you know ingesting your system with a little taste of this, but bro, I was out for the count, bro. Yeah, dude, that's I never felt that bad after any of my boosters, but the way you felt is probably. That's for, I probably felt that bad in terms of like lethargy, but I also had like the, the the cough and the boogers and the sore throat. So I didn't get it that bad, but I had it like probably the way you felt in terms of tiredness plus the cough. And that was only a couple of days. But yeah, bro, having COVID, I'm like, give me another booster. Give me all the boosters. I don't want to – my big concern of COVID, and I've been in my room since I've tested positive, is just infecting my parents because I do live with them. But, uh, yeah, it's given me a lot of time, man. Like, I'm, I'm going to watch all the Harry Potters. Uh, I have a lot of opinions about Harry Potter. Unfortunately, uh, people have already seen them two decades ago. The most depressing thing about the Harry Potter movies is just realizing how many people in the movies are now dead. I'm like, Jesus, Professor Snape is dead. Dumbledore is dead. All these actors are dead. This is depressing. But, again, not as depressing as maybe catching up on the Ultimate Fighter and, and seeing that one of the Ultimate Fighter it, it, when I watch The Ultimate Fighter, a part that they have ingrained in the show is called The Ultimate Fighter Flashback. So you're literally watching the show, and they have a segment that that's all about, hey, remember when this show was good? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now, like, you brought up a really great point to me, and, and not to, to throw any spoilers out there, 
But I think if, if you, well, if you listen to the last episode of the podcast, you heard my interview with Laura Gallardo, who's on this week's episode of the Alton Fire. She's in the semifinal. She was an alternate in this one. She comes in to replace the fire because Juliana and her team said, we're not going to allow you to cut, what was it, 28 pounds, 25 pounds, or something like that. But you brought up a really great point. Like, if this is like season five of the Alton Fire back in the day, do we see this fire attempting to make weight? Mm-hmm. Yes. In, uh, in episode four, I forget the, the Co- fighters. Coates, and, I want to say what his name is. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know what her first name was. And I'm sure we'll see her in the UFC uh, soon or at some point because she had some real good reasoning for why she she weighed so much. I believe she had she went something. She lost. Uh, I want to say she lost a child in addition to having COVID leading up to the show. So for her, she had a lot of bad things happen. And she was 20-plus pounds, 25 to 28 pounds overweight in terms of making the flyweight class. And I do believe if this was the Ultimate Fighter Season 3 or 4, that weight cut would have been something she would have tried to have done. And that would have been the whole episode. And we've seen those episodes of fighters just in terrible positions trying to and ultimately not making weight. So it's a sign of the times that she – was not allowed to make that weight cut. And, you know, surely it probably wasn't just Juliana Pena and her team that made that call. I'm sure the UFC yeah. also made that call. That weight cut was never going to happen. We will never see a 20 plus pound weight cut on the Ultimate Fighter again. But it was good for Juliana Pena's team to let her down easy and communicate that to her. Juliana talked about how she had to cut 20 plus pounds over 10 days and still didn't make it. But it was definitely a, 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 sign of things changing that you know Coates wasn't allowed to make that weight cut and and you know thank goodness and again she had Gallardo on the show who was a, a welcome addition yeah Chantel Coates was a fire who had to pull out but yeah Laura it was really interesting kind of talking to her about she was an alter in the season and she talked about so people can check that interview out you can go over to the MMA Report YouTube channel to check out that interview but uh, of course uh, this past weekend UFC 276 Izzy and Volk both retain their titles here and you know kind of talk about the, the aftermath of of UFC 276 and um, scrolling through my Twitter timeline, one of the, the more interesting things that I saw was the finish rate of UFC champions and where Izzy stands in this list. Izzy's finish rate in the UFC is 33%. The only fighter that is lower than 33% is Carla Esparza. So just kind of give a full list here. Yuri, he's at 100%. Nganu, 91.7%. Oliveira, 90.5%. Nunez, 71.4%. Figueredo, 70%, which you brought up. That's kind of an interesting number. In fact, that's at flyweight. Pena, 57.1%. Shevchenko, 50%. Sterling, 38.5%. Usman, 33.3%. Volkanovsky, 33.3%. But you brought up a really interesting point about the three fighters that are all at 33%. Usman, Volkanovsky, and Adesanya. Maybe it has a lot to do with the competition they're facing. Yeah. You have Usman at welterweight, Volkanovsky at featherweight, and Adesanya at middleweight. I think the only other weight class that I would put in that top four is lightweight. I think those are the top four weight classes in the UFC. In fact, I would probably say lightweight might be the toughest weight class in the UFC. So hats off to Charles Oliveira, who I also spent time fighting at featherweight. But it, 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 yeah, there are a couple things here. One, when you look at this list, Oliveira, 
who has a 90.5% finish rate in 21 fights. I think that speaks to That's crazy. We we are underestimating how legendary what Oliveira is doing at both 45 and lightweight. That's astonishing. Um so that's the big surprise. But when you look at Sterling, oh, excuse me, Usman, Volkanovski, and Adansanya, the thing with Israel, and it speaks to the larger point of why we're starting here, you know, this was International Fight Week. Uh, for Izzy Adansanya, between those three fighters, he has had more boring decisions than either Volk and Usman. A big reason why? It's because Israel Adesanya is an absurdly good fighter, and that doesn't translate to always being entertaining. He's going to take what's in front of him in order to get the victory. He spoke to the chess match of the two coaches between himself and Jared Cannonier, and that chess match doesn't always translate to good fight. Izzy didn't take too many risks because – Jared really didn't take too many risks, and Izzy was technically superior, but it was a great opportunity for Adesanya to become a bigger star. He had that phenomenal Undertaker entrance that got so many people talking, but unfortunately, what people are talking about is how Adesanya had another lackluster main event, making people who spent their money on the pay-per-view feeling disappointed that they did so, especially after they saw the O'Malley fight, which was another disappointment for the consumer. Bro, I mean, how crazy is it? I mean, I'm sitting on my couch on Saturday night watching the fights, and they pan to the crowd. We got Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, and Pat McAfee chugging whatever alcohol he was chugging while wearing a neck brace. And I'm just like, Holy cow, like, I mean, I understand Dodie was in Vegas doing the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, but I'm like... That same night, by the way. Yeah, that, that same, same night, night, so literally, in a show. they walked across the street, essentially, once their show was over, to come watch the UFC. I'm like, I'm thinking about, what world am I living in that Vince McMahon is front row at a UFC event? Like, if you would tell me, like, things I would never expect to see at a UFC pay-per-view... And if you listed out things and Vince McMahon was one of the things I could checklist off, that may be it. I just never expected it. it would like, I mean, I know Triple H just talked about MMA and, and kind of its impact on things. And so like that doesn't surprise me. Pat McAfee being there, not surprising at all, but Vince being there. And then, I mean, look, the walkout was tremendous by Izzy. I mean, first off, okay. How about the fact on the urn he has engraved Jared on it? I mean, like, that is phenomenal. I mean, it was an amazing walkout, but, like, as I was watching the walkout, one of my initial thoughts was uh, along the lines of, like, man, 99.9% of UFC walkouts are really nothing to note. They're about the three-letter the three letter brand UFC. Like, kudos to Izzy. He's now done this on two occasions where he has really showed the Izzy brand, unfortunately for him, what people are talking about is that walkout and actually not what he really did in the octagon. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was another situation where, and this is, let's see, I felt like this also happened for sure. There was, was it the, oh, yeah, the O Romero fight was another fight where this happened, where there was a lot of hype for Israel and Sanya. And I think a lot of casuals were buying in and they were otherwise kind of disappointed with the end product. And, and so for Adin Sanya, 
I and I feel like that may have even been the case against Whitaker last time out. But that that fight was certainly better than the than the most recent than the fight we had with the Cannoneer. But for Adin Sanya, I do feel like maybe there's a lot of casual fans that have heard about the hype for Israel Adin Sanya, and they buy the show, and they don't come away as fans of him because the product wasn't like the same way the Anderson Silva product was before Anderson Silva. And that's the guy you kind of compare him to because it's the same weight class and they both just feel like they are bending the rules. They are bending the style and they are just at another level, but he hasn't really had the marquee after marquee highlight reel finish in his championship defenses when all the casuals are watching. So that's the big concern for Adin Sanya. This in turn was a thumbs down effort, even though technically speaking, it's hard not to walk away thinking this guy's a damn talent. Here's the upside for Adin Sanya. And by the way, hats off to Jared Cannonier. It's hard to go 25 minutes with Israel Adin Sanya, and he did just that. Um, dude, for Adin Sanya, he has a perfect opportunity to rebound because going forward next, the UFC has a phenomenal story to tell for his next challenge. Yeah. I mean, look, first off, I mean, like I didn't believe Sean Strickland last week when he said he was going to stand with Alex. Well, he paid for it. I mean, and look, I am so fascinated with that matchup of what that could be in MMA. Honestly, we've seen in glory there that that one, it should be a fun matchup between those two guys. But uh, I want to move over to the co-main event. Alexander Volkanovsky, I mean, look, tremendous performance. I, I think there's maybe not a better word to say about just absolute tremendous performance. Um, maybe the MVP of that fight is actually Max Holloway's cut man to somehow keep him in that fight because when it was, I want to say it was a second round that cut happened and they go, they show a close up. I'm like, holy crap. Like, okay, Texas definitely wouldn't stop that fight. Florida definitely wouldn't stop that fight. Nevada, whoo, you know, and I was like, and so give kudos to that. But like, but there is a legitimate conversation right now. Is Volkanovsky the number one pound for pound fighter? Yeah, yeah. And and I think a big reason why is Adin Sanya's fight was disappointing. Usman nearly lost to Colby Covington in his last fight. In his last two performances, Volkanovski has thrown masterclass performances. Korean zombie, lower level quality opponent. So not as impressive, but in the trilogy fight, he outstruck Max Holloway and was comfortably the better fighter. And I come away thinking that the best fighter in the world is either Alexander Volkanovski or a man without a championship, Charles Oliveira. That's the other guy I look at and think he might be the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. But since he has the strap and because he beat the sixth best fighter in the world, I'm going to go Alexander Volkanovsky. Jason, I thought this fight was going to be closer than it was. Maybe there's one round you could have gave to Max Holloway. But all in all, dude, Volkanovsky's speed for a guy who's not a young pup is damn impressive, as is his technique. I don't think there's a single person at 145 that can touch Alexander Volkanovsky. It's astonishing to see how much this dude has improved from a fight-to-fight basis. He's a testament to if you put in the work, you can end up being the greatest. By the way, before we move to what's next for Volkanovsky, here's your WTF story of the week. So this comes from Volkanovsky. 
revealing in his post-fight interview about a interesting interaction with USADA before his second matchup with Max Holloway on Fight Island. Quote, now I can say it because I went and done that to Max. The second fight with Max, when I tell you I didn't turn up, there's a few things that happened. You obviously don't know about USADA coming, waking me up hours before I had to get up, which is ridiculous. I don't know how that happened and how that could happen. I'm over that. I ended up doing silly things as well. I took melatonin tablets thinking it was just silly and woke up like drunk. Not drunk, but not right either. So it was rough. It was rough. But I'm not the type of guy to make excuses. I'm telling you now because I got to shut everyone up. And now I'm telling you this. I didn't turn up. Now he's going to believe that because of what I just did tonight. That's why I was so confident going into this one. I didn't turn up. He turned up and he still couldn't beat me. It was halfway through my sleep. They woke us all up and said that they were going to test him. Obviously, my coaches and my manager were like, what do you mean? What the hell? Obviously, I woke up during the night to piss, so I couldn't fill it up. I had to water load. The story goes on. I had to drink water so I could hurry up and piss and so I could go back to bed. WTF, USADA. What, what are we doing hours before the guy's about to fight on fight island waking him up because you want him to take a drug test like look i'm all about a clean sport but man there's like i I was interviewing dustin jacoby uh two weeks ago and we we, you know a previous time we had talked about he he talked about an interaction they had with usada where uh he showed up late to strength and conditioning and usada was sitting there waiting for him like hey bro where you at this by the way is at 6 a.m and then, and so we were kind of joking about it. Uh, uh, the last interview was Tallest Fight next week. And I was like, I go, bro, I just want to interview you. saw a drug tester. Like, how yeah. do you get into this life where you want to watch dudes pee? Like, and- like what, what are you going to college for? Like, like, how did you get into this job? Was it like, hey, man. Couldn't find a job versus pandemic. I live in Colorado. You saw this hiring. So I got that job. Like, and then Daniel. What if you're a single dude? You go out on a date. What do you tell your date your job is? You you're uh you're I don't I don't even know what the hell you say. I mean, look, I just think the biggest thing is you are upsetting trained killers. Again, think about the USADA employee who has to wake up Sean Strickland. And go to his apartment. Like, think about bro, that bro, guy. bro, 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 bro. Come on, dude. If you work for USADA, they call they call you up. Say, hey, hey, Daniel. Uh, tomorrow we need you to go wake up Sean Strickland at six a.m. The proper response is, no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm going to uh, quit. Is what I would. Here's my resignation notice. Mm-hmm. I, it should be. You should not be allowed to wake a fighter up before a fight. Like. That's that's insane, Jason. That's an insane story that that happened. Like you can wait, you can wait till he wakes up to test him. You know, wait, wait till uh, he, wait, wait till he roll like wait till he rolls up to the arena. Yes. Hey, man, exactly. we're gonna do a pre-fight drug test before your fight. Mm-hmm. But to to mess with someone's sleep before a fight is is nuts. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. WTF story for sure. Uh, yeah, and I can't even imagine having to fight Max Holloway after not getting much good sleep. So what's next for Volkanovski? I've I've got four candidates 
So defend the title against Josh Hammond. Defend the title against Aljamain Sterling. Sterling's talked about he he plans to move up to the 45 at some point to could away for his buddy Marab Davishvili to win the 135-pound title. Maybe you, you take on Henry Cejudo. Cejudo's kind of talking about that aspect. Or do you move up the 55 and take on Charles Oliveira for the interim or for the vacant lightweight title? I would not I would not take on Oliveira because you gotta fight Mahachev next. If you do that. <laughs> if you do that. And even though I said Volkanovsky is the best pound for pound fighter, I think I might want to stay away. Honestly, if I'm Alexander Volkanovsky and if I was offered the lightweight championship opportunity, I would take it. I would I would take that fight and I would feel confident. Volkanovsky Oliveira is one. I mean, that's that's dude. I just told you those are the, who I thought were the two best pound for pound fighters in the world. So, damn. Let's make that fight happen. Like, to me, the other fight is the Josh Emmett fight. And unfortunately for Josh Emmett, it's just not the sexiest fight in the world, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I I think I got to go with uh, the Oliveira fight. I think for Cejudo, it's more likely he fights freaking Sean O'Malley than the UFC gives him a featherweight championship fight. And I also don't think the UFC is going to bend over backwards for Aljamain Sterling Olivera Volkanovski, let's book it. I just feel bad for Mahachev if he gets passed up. All right. If I was going to rank him purely as a fight fan, sorry, Josh, I'm at your fourth. He might be fourth on the UFC list based on their seat assignment for UFC 276 for you. Yeah. I would, pro- I would I would go number one, Charles Olivera, just because of, of stylistically having I mean, their two of the top pound pound five in the world. Number two, I would go Henry Cejudo. And then number three would be Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, the the other uh, I think Cejudo is definitely above Sterling because that's just a bigger fight. I think the other name is uh, Yair Rodriguez. If he beats Brian Ortega at a UFC on ABC three, uh, he's never challenged for the championship. He's always been on the peripheral, and you know a win over Ortega on ABC is a big deal. But he would definitely just be in the same holding pattern as Josh Emmett. Um, so amongst the featherweights, that makes the most sense. I think Ortega beating Rodriguez probably doesn't earn the shot quite yet. So I'm kind of like you. But, yeah, when you have an opportunity to possibly put the two best fighters in the world and against each other, I say let's do it, man. I think that would be great. And it would be great to have it in Brazil uh, for a fight like that. Yeah, no. No, I'm with you there. Um, do you rebook Munoz versus O'Malley? I say No. Uh, I don't think so. Look, that fight told us nothing about O'Malley or Munoz. I mean, it was pretty lame that Sean O'Malley decided to celebrate after that fight was stopped. Like, that was weird. That was no one. No one thought you were cool after that happened. But what would you do with O'Malley uh, going forward if you're not booking the rematch? Well, here's the thing. And obviously, the, the I felt the fight was turning in Sean O'Malley's path. Look, the crazy stat is the fact of Pedro Munoz landed 26 strikes. They were all leg kicks. He was 0 for 9 when targeting ahead. I thought that was kind of a very interesting stat there. Like, to me, if I'm in O'Malley camp, I'm trying to find someone in the top 15 that is a striker. I'm not trying to find someone who's a grappler, you know. Um, I, I know he's mentioned Rob Font. If you told me, they bu- even though he's not in the top 15, if you booked Adrian Yanez versus Sean O'Malley, I would love to see a fight. But, yeah, but I great. think, but I think at this point, 
with O'Malley, everyone wants to see him fight top 15 guys. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, if they decide to rebook that fight, I'd have no issues with it, but like, it wasn't exactly a fun fight to watch. And, and I think part of it, 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 it falls on both guys at the end of the day. But I, I just think I understand what the game plan was for Pedro Munoz. But were you just going to, you know, land leg kicks to try to win a decision? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just so damn hard for him to get inside and also match Sean O'Malley's speed. I mean, Pedro just was a step slower in this fight. And it did kind of feel inevitable that he was going to get knocked out by O'Malley. It just, you know, never happened. But yeah, oh man, I don't I don't know. I mean, Giannis now is top 15, so that one doesn't make that one could happen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of wanted to see uh oh gosh, if only freaking uh, Cody Garbrandt can get a victory, you know. <laughs> but I yeah. I think look Maybe maybe a Frankie Edgar fight could be something to elevate Sean O'Malley's name. I mean, maybe O'Malley versus Dominic Cruz I mean, would Cru- be interesting. Well, Cruz is Cruz is booked against Vera. Yeah, that's true. Song Yudong is number ten is booked against uh, Corey Sanhagen. But I, I think the only Cruz- one the only one in the top ten that's not booked, I think, is Rob Font. That's just okay. So Rob Font O'Malley is, is the best possible fight you could make at this weight class in terms of entertainment value. I don't think there's a single better fight than that fight. If Cruz loses the Cheeto Vera, Cruz and O'Malley is a much bigger fight than Font and O'Malley in terms of name value. Yeah. Uh, and that's the fight I would book. And I think Cruz probably does lose to Cheeto Vera. It's just a matter of how long is Sean O'Malley on ice after this fight. Yeah, I mean, you got to imagine he really didn't take much damage. You got to think he's going to get right back in there. Uh, the other thing about the aftermath of UFC 276, we have two fighters announced their retirements, Donald Stroney and Jessica I. Donald Stroney getting tapped out by Jim Miller there. Uh, in the second round, the biggest the biggest quote was the fact of Donald Stroney saying, I don't love this anymore, which I, I think when you, when you come out with that comment, yeah, you probably should not be fighting. But it kind of made us think about biggest Donald Cerrone memories. And, and for me, Daniel... It's kind of a generic memory with him, but it, to me, it's about how Donald Cerrone, you always knew if Donald Cerrone was coming to fight, the guy was going to put on a fight. It, it wasn't going to be something that it would be potentially a boring fight. He was going to go out there and have a big fight and, and put on a fight for the fans that you're going to enjoy. Like, that's my first memory of Donald Cerrone. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when you look at his UFC run, there aren't a lot of, like, major, like, fight of the like. Like, to me, the number one UFC memory is either him losing to Connor because it was a big – it was his moment. It was his opportunity at the at the apex. But in terms of, like, the best possible moment for him in the UFC, to me, it was his fighting against Melvin Gallard. This was 2012, August, at UFC 150. It's one of the, the greatest one-minute, 16-second fights you'll ever see. I can't believe this fight's only 76 seconds when I'm looking back on it. I thought it lasted a little longer in that first round. That to me was his best UFC fight. And it only happened. It only lasted 76 seconds, Jason. 
Yeah, I mean, I think my other memory of him was being in the building for when he challenged RDA for the lightweight title. And I remember going into that, you just kind of felt like this was potentially the coronation uh, or, or, you know, winning the crown here for Donald Cerrone. And of course, that fight doesn't, he doesn't last long at all. Only lasts 66 seconds before uh, Dos Anjos knocks him out there. I, I just remember about that of just, you know, being in that building because Cowboy was such a huge fan favorite. And, and I I just thought that it was going to be his night, but like I think the biggest takeaway for me is just going to be a guy who always came on and put on a show. Dude, I completely forgot he fought for the title. I completely forgot that fight happened. Wow, that was on Fox too. Interesting. Yeah, that's I did, I did not realize that. And yeah, I remember that run he went on when he was when he was like he beat Jim Miller, Eddie Alvarez, and, and went on that run. But I completely forgot about the fight against RDA. That's a that's a good call. When I think of championships, though, the other two memories that come to mind are predate the UFC. I think a big reason why is it's some of my first memories of Donald Cerrone is in the WEC. So to me, the best fight he was ever a part of was the fight he had against Benson Henderson that went the distance, uh, WEC 43. He really rallied in rounds four and five, and it was one of the best fights I had seen. Uh, that year and it was a phenomenal fight and it was one of those fights that got me hooked on the WEC product and then I believe WEC 51 was uh yeah WEC 51 against Jamie Varner great fight uh this was a rivalry fight it was a fight that I think went back to uh their original fight there was like an illegal strike and uh that Varner got hit with I believe and it went to the judges scorecard technical decision and it was a rivalry and Donald Cerrone was the good guy in this rivalry to me, and he got the win in a great fight. So Varner and Donald Cerrone at WEC 51 was one of the great stories that WEC ever told. And uh, it's one of the first times, along with that Bendo fight, that made me a big fan of Cowboy Cerrone. You know, the thing about the my other big takeaway from that night he fought RDA was that was the night of the Nate Diaz speech. You're taking everything that I want. And of course, four months later, we get Nate Connor one. Yeah. Cause RDA pulled out of the fight and then Nate stepped up on a week's notice. Damn. Like you, you think about iconic post fight interviews that Nate Diaz interview that night when he beat Michael Johnson is one of the most iconic post fight interviews. It, it's a interview that we all, we all remember. We all remember him saying that. And of course, who knew that four months later we were going to see him in there in the cage fighting Conor McGregor. Yeah. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, man, those Fox cards, so much history being made on those Fox cards and man, we're just barely getting back to, getting on network TV, man, with these cards. I, I mean, we had the prelims on, on ABC and, uh, I'm looking forward to the, the, uh, Rodriguez Ortega main card. Yeah. And that's, uh, by the way, those prelims start at 11 AM on, uh, that'll be on the next weekend, next, the 16th, by the way, after this weekend, we got back-to-back weekends of afternoon mail on Saturday. Day. I don't know if you know that. We got Long Island, then we got London. So we, we you know, of course, you know, it's us as East Coast and, and Central Time Zone uh, people, we we love these afternoon cards. Wait, what time does this Long Island main card start? Uh, it's like either two or three o'clock in the afternoon. That's so strange. I can't comprehend a card on the East Coast happening in the middle of the day, like a, like a, like. I guess that makes sense, Jason, time-wise. Hey, hey, yeah. stop complaining. Don't let them change their mind. I know. I know you're right. (laughs) 
I know you're right. Come on, man. I, I like to have a Saturday night where I can just do whatever I want, bro. Come on, man. You try to ruin my life I over know. here. I know, brother. I apologize. <laughs> wow, it's a great opportunity to put Tate Murphy on that card. And- yeah, yeah. Of course, that fight was supposed to be this past weekend, but uh, Lauren Murphy she tested positive for COVID. That's why it's been delayed uh, two weeks here. Now, you're the pro wrestling expert here. Yes. Jessica announces her retirement, and she says after the fact she wants to go to the pro wrestling realm. And I mean, look, we we have seen pro wrestlers take this angle. Um, you know, I mean, most know we, uh, recently Valerie Rada signed with, with the, uh, with the WWE, but we've, we've seen other fighters do this. Like Jessica, I, I mean, you know, it, it's not like she's, you know, late twenties, early thirties. I mean, she's closer to 40 than she is 30. Is yeah. there, is there a place for her in pro wrestling? I mean, there's a place for her in pro wrestling, but it just, she has to work harder than someone like Valerie Lareda or Paige Van Zant. The reason being is that Jessica, I, even though she has, you know, 180,000 followers on Instagram, that's a, that's a good presence. She's just not as big of a star as Paige or Loretta. And that really matters when it comes to maybe the WWE or AEW giving her money to be a professional wrestler for Loretta, for Paige Van Zant, the opportunity to be on a major wrestling TV show is there. They just got to show up to training for Jessica, I, I don't think the WWE or AEW is going to offer her a deal like that. She's going to have to grind like yours truly, like myself. So the opportunity for Jessica I to be a pro wrestler, well, it's probably a little bit better than my opportunities that I'm going to get, but it's not a whole lot more. But if she loves it, she should still go after it because whether you're performing at AEW or WWE or if she's performing on an independent wrestling show in Ohio, she might get a lot out of it. But hey, you know, shout out to Jessica I. I mean, she's a... She's somewhat man. It's just every single week we're getting someone to retire every single week. But you know, pay some. We got to put some respect out for Jessica. She's had a whole hell of a lot of UFC fights. Competed for the flyweight championship. Tough head kick KO lost to Shevchenko before her run in the UFC. Had a couple of fights in Bellator. She beat Zoila Gergel, who was one of the top female fighters in Bellator in the very beginning. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Jessica on a, on an impeccable career. Uh, that she should be proud of. But, um, you know, it's just every single week we are getting a new retirement. By the way, Violet Rada has 945,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, that's the difference, right? It, 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 I, I'm interested to see how, how she does in professional wrestling and how yeah. does the WWE, um, how do they utilize her? I think uh, I think she's going to do pretty good, actually, as long as she can get a good promo ability. I think she's going to do pretty good, but it just depends on how much she loves professional wrestling. Because if you don't love professional wrestling, you won't be doing it for that long. Because when you become a professional wrestler, you just watch the movie The Wrestler, and you can see how awful wrestling is to you. It's going to take everything away from you, but you do it for a reason. Bro, when, yeah, talk, Rick, no. just look at Ric Flair right now. Yeah, yeah. Ric Flair is wilder than most, but yes, absolutely. And he's going to have his last match. I almost feel again. like he is the wrestler at this point. I know, I know. Yeah, except for the difference between him and the wrestler is uh, he's got a little more money. Like, he can make more money off appearances, but still, he's just about. Like, the wrestler to me is about this guy who can't even make ends meet nowadays. Like, he can, like, with, with Ric Flair, Ric Flair's going to have a autograph signing and people are going to show up. It's just the problem for him is, well, he's going to spend it all by the time the day's over. But um, well, that's, the, that's the nature boy. 
I will you tell know? you, he does like spend times in South Tampa bars. Yeah. I, I do. I do know that for a fact. Uh, um, by the way, just, spe- go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, just to wrap up on two seventy six, Jason. I would say three things. One, Julius Dolirinko. Holy crap, that arm bar was nasty on Jessica Rose Clark. Two, uh, Jalen Turner is insanely talented. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, at one fifty five. Three, Brian Barbarena. One of my most must-watch fighters, again, proves it. Just a second did not go by where Brian Barbarena wasn't throwing a punch at Robbie Lawler's <laughs> face. Yeah, that, that was a fun, exciting fight. Uh, before we get into uh, Saturday's UFC, Carl, let's talk about some uh, news and notes going on in the world of MMA. And, uh, you know, Daniel, I always love to say, you never believe the retired world in combat sports and it only took one goddamn month for Felice Herrick to unretire because she has signed with the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. And I tweeted this um, after the fact uh, yesterday. I said, death, taxes, and former UFC fighter signing with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. And Herrick made the announcement to on to MMA Fighting. These were her quotes. I've watched closely what Dave Feldman and his team at BKFC have built and truly want to test myself in bare knuckle. At this point in my career, I'm ready for a new challenge, and there's nothing bigger and better than BKFC. MMA is definitely done. Here's the thing, too. I want to make it very clear because I feel like people look if look if you are done with MMA, you're a has-been. If you go to bare knuckle, you're a has-been. I don't believe that because there's a thing. Now opportunities go beyond the UFC. UFC used to be the top of the top, the cream of the crop. And by no means am I talking excellent about the UFC because I love the UFC. And I love being a part of the UFC and I love the journey, that journey of my life. But before the UFC was the end all be all. If you left the UFC, it was only downhill from there. I don't believe that anymore. Now look. Obviously, BKFC is paying out a ton of money. I think the interesting part would be is did did Herrick's people reach out to BKFC or did BKFC reach out to her? But also, it makes me think about when you hear fighters talk about it's time to move on to the next chapter of my life. How many of them get to that next chapter and they feel like there's going to be a lot of opportunities and they're just not there? Okay. Do you think we will see Donald Cerrone... Or Jessica, I announce that they have signed with BKFC in the next month. I think it's more likely Jessica. I. Yeah. It, it, yeah, there seems to be that BKFC is really targeting former UFC female fighters yeah, as, like- as a way to entice people to buy their pay per views. I feel like. Uh- as soon as a fighter says the words retire to answer your question of who reached out to who, I think BKFC is just immediately sending a message to the agent of that fighter. Yeah. Uh, dude, uh, it was a few weeks ago, and I don't know if you brought it up originally or if somebody mentioned it in a question, but it's just an astute point that the biggest competitor to the UFC in terms of acquiring talent or, or, or whatever is non-MMA promotions. I mean, you can make one hell of an MMA roster – if you pitch like the bare knuckle fighting people and, and, and made a roster out of them. So it's just a, it's a very interesting thing. I don't really, again, understand the financial viability of this business model. 
but hey, it obviously works because you know if the checks don't clear, then no one to be fighting. So yeah, hopefully uh, Felice can make some good money and stay safe. And again, it, it makes sense for her to do such a thing because she spent her whole life training in martial arts. This is one of her major skills. It makes sense for her to continue to employ it. You just got to hope she stays safe. And I believe she suffered a lot of leg injuries, right? She had a lot of surgeries in that part yes. of the body. So, you know, at least she wanted to deal with leg kicks and defending wrestling. But, you know, footwork is still such a, a pivotal part of boxing. So we shall see. But I hope for the best for Felice Herrig and for every, you know, most other fighters, right? You're either going to see them doing bare knuckle or opening up their own gym. And that's good, too. Yeah, I mean, and what I mentioned a couple weeks ago is the fact that when the the Perry Michael Page fight got booked, and and I think that Bellator, in terms of one of their biggest competitors for talent, is BKFC. I did check out this interview that Malki Kawa did with John Morgan last week in Vegas. If you haven't seen it, it's on it's on the uh, the UG's YouTube channel, and he he talked said something really that stuck out to me where he talked about the fact of. There are opportunities in a sport that may not be with the UFC, and it ultimately is, does the fighter want to take advantage of those opportunities? You know, look, I have no idea if BKFC is making money. I know there's some litigation going on in terms of them right now with uh, the acquisition uh, of their company by, by Triller. But, I mean, look, it's depending on what time that of uh, the day the fight is on that London fight with Perry and page. If I'm around, I might watch that. I know it's, it's a day of a Buccaneers preseason game. So I'll be on the road, but uh, that'd be a fight that I would be intrigued to watch. And like, it, it's just one of these things that when you see these fighters retire and because we all know what the financial side of this game looks like, it, it just, you, you really wonder, especially, you know, on the female side of the equation, you know, if, if you decide that, you know, you're, if you're going to do a premium VIP fan service and it's basically just going to, you know, you're not going to, you know, it's going to be your Instagram essentially. I mean, let's call it what it is. Maybe there's just not a lot of opportunities out there. Maybe fleece hair thought there'd be more opportunities out there and maybe it wasn't. And, and BKFC threw a ton of money at her. I mean, look, it's, you know, well, at, the, at the other, at the end of the day too, I feel like it can't be that fulfilling to, to only do that as a career, right? Like, you can only spend so much time doing photo shoots. Then you're going to have 23 hours left of your day. You know, like I, I would bet there are female fighters who make more money doing that than actual fighting. Oh yeah. I dude, I bet a whole lot do. And, but the thing is to me, it's not about that. Like once you make your money, that's great. Now you're like, well, crap, Jason. I got 22 hours left in the day. What the hell am I gonna do? And you can only do so much vacation and I, and I, chill and relax. But eventually, you're gonna get like like that sense of like, you know, that sense of purpose that being a mixed martial artist gives you and structure, dude. That's all these people know, right? Unless you're Junie Browning, all you know is structure when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to training. And everything, and and I guarantee you, these fighters are gonna want to fill that. They can fill that void by doing bare knuckle and other martial arts events like the grappling and whatnot. So yeah, I, I think it's 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 a tale of two sides. For Felice Herrig, I mean, I bet the money is good though on the bare knuckle deal. Oh, I'm sure it is. Uh, move on to another story. And this story, when I saw it, it, it stuck out odd to me. 
And so the story is about how Hawaii, their athletic commission, has denied Juliana Vasquez's appeal for her Bellator 278 fight against Liz Carmouche. And one of the things that was most interesting to me about that is the fact that not only were they looking for this fight to be overturned, they were looking for this fight to be overturned to a win for Juliana Velasquez. Um, And the thing that I highlighted in the... uh, So Nathan Gable was the attorney representing Juliana Velasquez in this, where he was seeking the fact of... uh, At the end of it, he says, for the above reasons, we respectfully request the result of the bout to be changed to a win for Juliana Velasquez as she was ahead on the scorecards with over two-thirds of the bout completed when the bout was improperly stopped. Now... It also, so in part of their uh, their appeal, they put in, um, it, it noted, said, the stoppage was universally condemned in the media. There was a link to an MMA fighting article, and there was a link to a morning combat tweet. And in the response by the state of Hawaii, it says, please be advised that I did not review any of the information contained in the articles posted to MMAfighting.com or Twitter. I thought that was kind of uh, savage there. And in this, uh, it does say that uh, based on the aforementioned, uh, aforementioned information, uh, I've concluded that the championship bout that occurred on April 22nd, 2022, in the event title Bellator 278 shall not be reviewed, nor shall the decision made by referee Mike Beltron be changed from a knockout to a win. Mike Beltron uh, did part of this. And by the way, Coos MMA Junkie, they did a great job reporting on this. And at the end of Mike Bel- uh, Beltron's letter, he said, I take full responsibility and accountability for my actions. I believe I acted with good intentions. However, I will learn from this experience. The part that is an odd thing for me, Daniel, is that Big John McCarthy wrote a three-page document to the commission and where I, I feel two ways on this, Daniel. One way is John McCarthy, respectable voice when it comes to the regulatory side of the sport. No one would deny that. However, he's a Bellator employee as a part of their broadcast team. So I found, but, but here's uh, the, there's two things that I highlighted that big John wrote in this. Uh, The first one is in paragraph four, where he says, quote, Mike Beltran did what he thought at the time was the right thing in stopping the fight. When he believed he saw Juliana hit by an elbow that caused her to lose consciousness, therefore putting her into a position where she was unable to intelligently defend herself. Unfortunately for Mike Juliana, the fans in the arena and the audience viewing the content home on Showtime sports, Mike was wrong in his determination that Juliana went unconscious and that she was unable to intelligently attempt to defend herself and there at the last paragraph of this he says quote this fight should be overturned to a no contest based upon an error by the referee a fighter should not be held accountable for other people's mistakes and they should not lose fights that they did not lose in this instance Julian Velasquez did not lose her fight with Liz Carmouche it was taken from her and you know damn my thing with this one's like I just I'm not sure how to feel about this. The fact of a promotion employee is defending a case being turned to a no contest and that employee is not the president of the company. I, I just, I don't know. It's a weird thing for me here, Daniel. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I, I, I see where you're coming from. It is a weird thing. 
although John McCarthy is someone who you would want to hear his opinion on this subject because he's kind of like the mm-hmm. godfather, excuse me, the godfather, but I get what you're saying in, in that he's, he's he gets paid by Bellator to be on the broadcast team. It, it's a tough one. It really is. I mean, like, can you imagine him uh, weighing in on a UFC fight, for instance? What would that look like in terms of a conflict of interest? What what I would say is if it was a UFC fight, that if I was a manager trying to get something overturned, John McCarthy would not be the referee I would go to since he works for another promotion. I'd be looking at a Jason Herzog, a Dan Mergliata, um, Todd Anderson, Mark Goddard, go on down the list. I wouldn't use Big John, even though, obviously, Rep will name the sport, but he is paid by a rival promoter. Yeah. By the way, this is completely sidetrack, but I, I just want to say, um, going back to Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley, so whenever um, the eye poke happened, the doctor kind of whispers in Jason Herzog's ear about the eye. And the doctor's got to know that Jason Herzog has a microphone on his <laughs> collar and we can hear every single uh, word they're saying. So okay. just, I just want to tell all people in the octagon, the referees are mics. You can't <laughs> tell them a secret. We're all going to know when you mentioned Herzog. I thought of that. No, my problem. I thought Herzog brought in the doctor way too quick. Yeah, but. I don't think I don't I don't think Herzog gay even though I, it probably would not have mattered. But like yeah, right with Pedro, right with Pedro Munoz goes, I can't see. Fight's over, bro. Like I, I get you can't see, but if you're trying, I like that's one of those things of once you say that to a doctor, fight's over. There is no coming back from that. Fight is over. I like okay maybe in Texas. Maybe a Dr. Tesco. I didn't hear what you said, Pedro. Hold on. I'll be back in about three minutes, okay? Yeah, man. I agree with you. In Texas, things are done a little differently. Oh, my goodness. That was absolutely bananas. But, yeah, also insane is the idea that this would be overturned and that Juliana would get a win here. Uh, For those that aren't remembering this fight, Carmouche had side control, was landing some of that Brock Lesnar patent offense. There are 12 seconds left in the round. Fight should have gone to the fifth round, but it's not like Velasquez was intelligently defending herself anyway. So I think it was the right call to maintain the official result. Yeah, it just it, to me, it's just one of those articles I saw and I was like, man, I don't know how exactly feel about it. Uh, other news, Bo Nickel going to be a part of Dan West contender series this summer. And uh, it does make you wonder, maybe do we start kind of seeing the UFC maybe going out and acquiring guys that we think are, are, are fighters that are very talented. Of course, Bo Nickel only one pro fight to this point, uh, winning a knockout in 30 seconds. Uh, Patricky Pitbull has pulled out of his upcoming title defense due to injury. Doesn't sound like he's going to be out very long. Uh, Sydney Outlaw will remain on the card. He's no longer in the main event taking on the former Ryzen lightweight champion, uh, Douglas Lima, Jason Jackson. Now the main event of that fight card, they will be fighting for five rounds in that one. But uh, Daniel, uh, UFC Vegas 58 is on this Saturday. And uh, man, great main event. I mean, great main event here between Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Faziv. I was going back in and I was watching. Uh, I went back and watched the Faziv fight. His last matchup against Brad Riddell. Also watched uh, the Mark uh, Jacasey fight, which, by the way, that's the fight where he just did the whole Matrix when uh, uh, Mark tried to kick him. And he just goes, whoop, 
uh, you see the massive fucks, but like, but going back and watching these Raphael Fazee fights, just it reminded me how fun of a fire this guy is. I mean, like, he wants to stand there. I mean, guys try to take them down. He Brad Riddell is the only one that's been able to take him down. Um, he just I want to say he's got a ninety five percent takedown defense. Um, you know, I think he's defending like twenty takedowns, something, something crazy like that. But man, like, this is a fun fight. Um, I think it's going to go all twenty five minutes. I do favor Rafael Fazeev in this one. I think we're going to see a ton of leg kicks out of both these guys here. To me, the ultimate question is: Does RDA try to challenge with the grappling yeah and i think he has that in his playbook and he's probably my pick to win this fight let's not forget how damn good rda looked against mokano mm-hmm. in that last yeah. fight i mean watching that fight i was like all right rda is ready to make another run that being said fiziev does look like an absolute beast a monster a guy who will challenge for the lightweight championship that's why this is one of the best main events they got on the books. But RDA, to me, more so than Fazeev, has more tools in his toolbox to steal rounds with his grappling. I do think in a stand-up affair, I probably favor Fazeev. But RDA, for my money, is the most underrated fighter in the history of the UFC. I don't know if there's a champion that gets less respect than RDA. Uh, that's not a hot take to me, bro. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I wonder who, who else is a part of the short list. Like, I mean, the other guy who's probably a part of that list is freaking John Fitch. Like, John Fitch is someone who people forget, but he's probably like the sixth best welterweight of all time. You know, right behind, you know, Roy McDonald, who couldn't get past Sadibu's seat this past week. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, RDA just consistently top, top tier fighter. Phenomenal fight. Phenomenal fight. Massive step up for Fazeev. The win over Riddell looks a little worse after Riddell's performance against Jalen Turner on Saturday. But I I love this fight. I'm just going with the guy I know more about and have seen in more high profile fights in RDA or Fazeev, but it's, it's a, it's a close fight. Yeah. I'm just kind of, I'm going there and just looking at UFC champion history to think of who would have another case of someone who won the title but got less res- got less respect than RDA. Oh gosh, I don't know. I'm about to look this up too. Then I'm just uh, I'm scrolling down the list. I don't. I, there's not one that jumps out to me right now. Let's see. Definitely not. Uh, definitely not. Um, well, dude. I mean, Andre Arlovsky's kind of up there. You know, he 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 doesn't necessarily get too much respect, and this is a multiple time champion. Uh, Frank Shamrock is someone who who I would point towards, but I think a lot of people know how good he was. I'll give you a name that people really crap on a lot. Who's that? It's because she never fought Chris Cyborg, Jermaine Durandamy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's but a not, good one. but not at the level RDA of how long RDA done that. Yeah, we probably, yeah, we, we don't give RDA the flowers he should be getting. Yeah, you're totally, yeah, you you are right. But <laughs> Jermaine Durandamy is a, is a good uh, is a good one as well but yeah i think uh, rda is, is up there and i'm just continuing to look at this list oh man uh yeah i think rda might in fact be the answer i mean who knows i mean some people may have forgotten the run that matt hughes went on but that's just a, maybe a, a case of people forgetting things not so much not respecting them in real time because yeah. in real time matt hughes was considered one of the best fighters on the planet 
you know, I mean, it should be a great matchup. I do favor uh, favor Rafael Fazeev's, and, and I think his leg kicks will ultimately be the the, the difference in this matchup. Uh, some other fights that, that do stick out to me on this card, the co-main event, middleweight matchup between two young guys in the UFC, Kyle Barallo and, and Armin Petrosian. Uh, Kyle, I look for him to eventually take this fight to the ground, submit out Armin Petrosian. Petrosian wants to keep the, feet, the fight on the feet, no question about it. Uh, Sayander Magomedov is just a fun guy to watch, what he can do on the feet, uh, and he is no slouch on the ground if you if if Douglas Silva de Andrade wants to go there. Uh Vandera Sherman's a low level UFC heavyweight fight. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Um if Vandera is smart and, and does a, a fight IQ, I think you just take the fight to the ground. But when I spoke to him, Daniel, I didn't walk away with that. I kind of walked away with the fact that he's probably gonna, you know, he does love the striking aspect uh of this one. Um Ronnie Lawrence is really a fun guy to watch. He's kicking off the card. That one sticks out to me. Uh and Jekyll and Roberson could be could be a fun little matchup there. Um, and, uh, new, uh, Brunage Gore, I think should be a fun one. I don't think it's going to last very long between those two guys. Uh, I think if, if Cody Brunage, I think he's going to try to take tricks on Gore to the ground. Gore's going to try to keep that one on the feet. Let me ask you this. Uh, who on this card is going to retire? Ooh, ooh. I have it. I have an answer. Who's your answer? Nina Nunez. Oh, okay, that that was a name that stuck out to me. That was a name that stuck out yeah. to me. I mean, I don't think Michael Johnson's going to retire because he talked about financially really needed that last uh, win. Bro, if he ever gets cut for the UFC, that's BKFC written all over it. Oh, yeah, totally, 100%. But for Nina Nunez, she's one of those where I actually don't think BKFC, I just think she's just going to be a coach. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I could see that one if she loses to Calvillo. Yeah, she, she, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what you were over the last month? I mean, how many retirements have we had? There's at least been one every single fight card. Yeah, it's it feels like. Yeah, it's also one of those things when you see that retirement. Um, after the fight's over, you, you wonder was it already on their mind, and how much of this is I just lost things haven't been going well for me right now, and maybe I just want to move on to the next stage of my life. Also, don't discount Dos Anjos. He is thirty-seven. That's It'd be surprising. Uh, that was yeah. that was one of the things that I was thinking about about that matchup. Is if you're RDA, you got to do something spectacular to put yourself in that title conversation. And it did make me wonder: could we see him go out there and maybe fight a little reckless in attempts to post your claim of? Hey, I'm here. I should be a guy fighting for the vacant title. Yeah, it's just if, if he were to if he were to jump over Mahachev, I would absolutely be so pissed off. Like, look, look, it should be the Bronx and Mahachev. That should be the vacant title fight. It should be. Yeah. If yeah. you tell me it is the Bronx against somebody else, I would not be shocked at all. Me neither, but Mahachev deserves that fight. I mean, let's let's see this fight, man. Mahachev deserves it. He he might be the best fighter on the planet. We don't know. All right. I, I, I wouldn't say it because he hasn't beaten a top 10 guy. But, yeah. All right. Say you got to put $100 down. Would it? Con- <laughs> Conor McGregor fights January 2023. What's more likely? Conor McGregor in a UFC octagon fighting Charles Oliveira for the vacant lightweight title or Conor McGregor stepping into a boxing ring and and boxing a rematch against Floyd Mayweather. 
Oh, lightweight championship fight. You think? Has, has there been some smoke on the Floyd fight? Yeah, there has. Oh, I haven't there's, seen there's that. Been, there's been some discussion, yeah. I, I haven't I, seen that. I want to say it was like last week when I mean, Con- Connor made, like, but, okay, by the way, Connor, his brilliant trolling the other day on social media was awesome. As he puts up a screenshot of the proper 12 advertisement during the UFC Hall of Fame as Habib is in the background. I'm like, he is so trolling Habib and Ali. It is so funny. Like, and, and like everyone's getting up in arms of, of him going, Hey, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, yeah, Connor is a Hall of Famer. Sorry, folks. Uh, he is. Yeah. I would, I, I would sit there and say is take your personal feelings where they may be about Connor McGregor. Think of what he proved in the octagon. How is he not a Hall of Famer? He's, he's the biggest star the sport's ever had. And won titles in two weight classes. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. He's like he's like if Joe Namath had the career of like, I don't know, Johnny Unitas. I'm not sure who won a lot of Super Bowls, but uh, Terry Bradshaw. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's crazy. I, absolutely nuts. I did watch the Hall of Fame ceremony. I thought Cormier's speech was really good. Uh, never expected that Daniel Cormier would actually admit that uh, he uh, he cheated the scale in Buffalo. I, I never thought I he'd know. actually, and he admitted it. So, I mean, look, kudos to DC for actually admitting it. But I just never thought we'd see that happen. Yeah, I agree with you. Especially in light of the news of Charles Oliveira having his championship stripped. Because of that half pound. But yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, we kind of talk about international fight week. I think it'd be great to put that on ESPN or ESPN two in terms of communicating to people who aren't in Vegas. That's international fight week. Cause like that's more accessible to me. I would like to see stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was listening to John Morgan's podcast and he had a good MMA media round table and talk about, you know, how great it was to have international fight week again and all that. And, and I did kind of think about like, I think from a media perspective, if you're in Vegas, that's a really cool thing. If you're a fan, if you're a fan of Vegas, it's a really cool thing. But like, if you're not in Vegas, like what does international fight week mean to you? I don't know. It doesn't mean much. There needs to be more events around the weekend that people that aren't there are watching to think about it as international fight. I mean, now on fight on, on fight pass, they were doing some various like, uh, you know, um, like round table discussions, whatnot. There was stuff on fight pass, but there's no way more than a thousand people saw that. I mean, Jesus on fight pass. I doubt it. Uh, I have no, no, idea. you think a thousand people? No, I no clue. No clue. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I remember there was one I I I had fight pass on because I was looking um I was looking to watch some some fight footage you know to break down, and uh, Ashley Evan Smith was doing a podcast with some NFL player. Um, and then I remember at the same time there was like a round table. It was Dan Severin. God, who was it? it was Dan Severin, Mark Coleman, maybe Brand Fitzgerald was hosting it, and there was one other former fighter. And they were take it was like a, basically a fan Q and A, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's probably up on on demand on Fight Pass. This is what they need to do. Saturday, your pay per view, obviously. Uh, Friday, Fight Night card. They've done this before. Fight Night card on a Friday, uh, maybe an Ultimate Fighter finale. No, you remember back then they did three straight nights of events. They did, yeah. When Eddie Alvarez won the lightweight title against RDA. That was a Thursday night, 
they had a Friday card Saturday. Then there was one year they did a card on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The, sun, well, the reason I remember that, the Sunday yeah. one because it was really um, it was awful to watch because we saw Frankie Edgar just beat the crap out of BJ Penn. I remember that. I do remember that. Well, here's my Thursday proposition. On Thursday, they should do a Hall of Fame ceremony, but they should also release a 30 for 30 about an MMA subject. Okay. And that both those things should be on ESPN. That's what they should shoot for next year. I don't know what topic they should do for 30 for 30, but that to me would get casual people talking about International Fight Week. Okay. There's it, a million right. topics. If it was this year? The 30 for 30 should have been Connor versus Habib. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, that would have been a good or, one. Or Connor Aldo. Uh, hey, well, unfortunately, it would not have really looked great for DC. If DC would want, have won one of the fights against John Jones, a 30 for 30 on the rivalry between DC and, and Jones. Yeah, I think I think that would be a good one for sure. Man, I mean, Randy Couture would be a good 30 for 30, but... Especially when you, if you would go towards, if you would end it with him beating Tim Sylvia. But I, when I think of 30 for 30, I kind of think of like an event that's controversial almost. And I don't know what that would be. You know, um, like Tito and Chuck was a pretty good topic for sure. But yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe the night Matt Sarah beat GSP. Yeah. I mean, that, that might be it. I mean, the, one of the biggest upsets in UFC right. history. Uh, I'll, I'll throw one out there. And we, we were talking about this pre-show. I think Reed Harris should be in, in the UFC Hall of Fame for how he built the WEC and all those fighters coming from the WEC. There may be your 30 for 30 of the influence of the WEC of those fighters coming into the UFC. I mean, just think of the names and the guys Look. that have become champions that fought in the WEC. There's only one WEC 30 for 30 I want to see. You know what it is? What's that? You have a guess? Kyle, okay. Um, nothing is popping popping in my head. But I'm sure what well, you say it, it'll click. The most po- weirdest thing that ever happened in a WEC cage, WEC 36, I think. Paulo Filo uh, versus Chael Sonnen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be a 30 for 30, but Paulo Filo, who should have had a much better career than he did have, was one of the top middleweights in the world, undefeated WEC. This would be a freaking great 30 for 30 the more I'm thinking about this. This dude was 16 and 0. Then he misses weight, weighs in at 192 pounds, is talking to people. Dude, the Paulo Filo 30 for 30 is what they should do. Okay, no, I mean, Aaron Silva hasn't gone to the Hall of Fame, right? That's crazy if he hasn't. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure who's all in the Hall of Fame, but if Aaron Silva's not in, we put him, in, and the UFC puts him in next year, thirty for thirty, Anderson Silva, Shale Sonnen rivalry. Yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, come on, I mean, just like <laughs> I, we, uh, any MMA fan remembers watching that first fight between Anderson and Shell Sonnen and going. And I remember, I think we probably all had the same thing. Holy crap. Shell Sonnen talked all this trash and homeboy is going to back it up. And then, and then we all know what happened in the fifth round. Yeah. Oh God. That's a good one. I think uh, the other 30 for 30 you could do is just about the first season of the ultimate fighter. 
Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, that's yeah. one of the most important. That's one of the most important things that's ever happened in the UFC. And then also the one time that uh, they had to change the location of event on days notice in the early days of the UFC because it got turned illegal in one state, and they had to go run another show somewhere else. That's I don't remember the, spe- the specific details, but that's a good one. That's a good story. So yeah. Oh, by the uh, way, you know we didn't mention about uh, the aftermath of UFC two seventy six. What's that? Joe Rogan wearing a tie. Oh yeah. Yeah. I turn on TV and I'm like, okay, I'm like, hold on. Did maybe there was a memo set? No, DC ain't wearing a tie. I was like, holy crap. Joe Rogan, what's going on here, bro? Dude, the other thing about Joe Rogan is um so after the Israel Adinsania thing, I saw I wanna say on MMA fighting or maybe I just Googled best entrances ever. And one of them showed Akihiro Gono's entrance to UFC 94. Uh-huh. He came out with his training partner. They were just up like anime women and they did like a dance. It was great. But all I could think of when I was watching the clip was, oh, my God, Joe Rogan sounds so much different at UFC 94 than he does now. It's just crazy. I don't know if it's like the audio equipment uh, or whatever, uh, but he sounds way different. It was funny. It's actually I saw a. Um a website out there that, that listed all the equipment he used for podcasts, which for being a podcast geek, I, I was kind of looking at what, what he uses there. But, um, you know, the one thing about, uh, about Joe Rogan is may, maybe every pay-per-view we need to make a pick. What winning UFC fighter is going to ask Joe when, when can they come on his podcast? Yeah. And will will he actually take him up on it? The answer is probably no. Yeah, I saw you had Eric Anders uh, was on his podcast uh, within the last week. I'm oh, not. Wow. I'm, I'll be honest. I don't. I I rarely listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, every once in a while, I will. They're just they're just they're so long, bro. They're so long. No, I don't. I don't. I can't listen to them anymore. They're just too damn long. Uh, especially now that I have COVID, I don't want to listen to him because he's probably going to tell me to eat some <laughs> weird thing. <laughs> And I'm just going to die. I'm just going to die because there's advice. But, um, wow, no, no, that's no. crazy. But I don't know if you see this. Um, you, you remember, you know, his, the meme that goes around of him of when he was interviewing Connor laying on the ground. Did you see someone create a meme of when uh, President Biden fell off the bike and they put uh, Joe's uh, crouched down interviewing him? <laughs> I didn't see that, dude. Oh that like that is all. Like, I feel like as much as the talk of Joe Rogan's be how much money he makes on his podcast, the other one's going to be is like he is going to li- live in the meme Hall of Fame. That is absolutely true. By the way, I want to say this: Donald Cerrone's. Uh, so Donald Cerrone was retiring or something. They were talking about how like he's going to be an actor and stuff and. He's in this new movie with Gina Carano okay. that Joe Rogan's a big fan of because it was funded by uh, the Daily Wire. All right. Dude, I saw the trailer for this movie. Holy crap, this movie looks awful. <laughs> I mean, this movie <laughs> this movie looks awful. I saw the trailer. Donald Cerrone should pursue whatever he wants in life. But based on this trailer, I don't think we're going to see him win an Oscar. <laughs> By the way, other thing about Donald Cerrone, Jason, I'm going to be honest with you. When I go to Donald Cerrone and I click on his Wikipedia, it's not good when you have a whole tab that just is controversies. And it's like 6.1 racism accusations, 6.2 allegations of sexual harassment, 
6.3 homophobic and transphobic comments. 6.4. I don't even know what this is. Hoiser rank sponsorship. No, 6. no, 5 clue. no views, clue. views on COVID-19. His biggest Wikipedia article is about his controversies. So anyways. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of those guys that I just wonder if we're going to be, could he be a guy that somehow down the road we see on UFC broadcast? By the way, I mentioned my going to fight pass and watching old fights, uh, you know, for, for shows I'm a part of. I've become to realize the combination of Michael Bisping and Paul Felder might be my favorite combination because I just feel like those two guys are just having a good time talking about fights. Straight up, if I'm power ranking the best color commentators, those are one and two. And I think Paul Felder's number one. And I think Bisping's number two. I, I would say I, would, I agree with you. I would love to hear Bisping and Anthony Smith call fights together. Because I listen to their podcast. Oh, I think their podcast is great. And so, you know what? That's a good call, dude. Smith is freaking good, too. They could do a whole thing. They could do a three-man booth, and it might work, where, like, Paul Felder is the guy who stirs – or Anthony Smith. One of those guys serves the roles of play-by-play man. I, I will tell you this. Being in the play-by-play industry, I got to give the UFC production team a ton of credit. I understand how hard it is if you want to do a three-man booth. And particularly when those three people aren't constantly working with each other on a weekend and week out basis, the fact of how much there is not a lot of talking over each other in that broadcast. The UFC has perfected the three man booth. The UFC broadcast people are amazing. The only thing I hate about the UFC broadcast people, I hate watching the Ultimate Fighter. I hate the lighting. I hate the <laughs> lighting. And I've mentioned this before. That freaking lighting, and it's it's a house style for the UFC because it's not just in the Ultimate Fighter, yeah. but that house lighting where they have that big ass ring light that you can see in the pupils of everybody every oh, time they're giving bro. sound, it, it pisses me I, off. I, you know, it was funny. Um, so I have a ring light that I, I don't use for myself anymore because the reason I hated it is, and like, look, if people see clips of me on video, you can see I have two lights here in the studio. They they reflect off my glasses, but when you have a ring light. You just see that ring in someone's glasses. Like it was, I, I do, I video produce a show and uh, he saw the ring light there. He said, Hey, why don't we use that? I go, bro, we're just going to see that ring light in your, in your glasses. He goes, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Exactly. I go exactly. now, if you did it now, if you do not wear glasses, they look great. It looks great for podcasting. No. And the light looks beautiful, but I can see that damn thing in everybody's eyes every time <laughs> they do it. Yeah. And, and I, I tell you what, and I know I'm a minority. A lot of people aren't going to notice that, and it looks beautiful, and it's their house style, and it's intentional, and they know everything I'm saying. But personally, I hate that. Well, there, there's things you're going to see on video because that's what you do that mm-hmm. the normal person's not going to notice. And what I do when I listen to a play-by-play broadcast I have a trained ear to hear for certain things. And there's things that I will hear that the casual person will not hear. I do wonder when they first ever mic'd up a referee because that was freaking genius to, to get that audio from the, from the referee. Oh my God, that is genius. And and they've had it since I can remember, yeah. but that's just, you know, yeah. that's just perfect. And, and the audio guy who's in charge of like mixing the audio live during these broadcasts, 
that's probably the most unheralded job in the UFC broadcast, and it's the most important job. When we hear the audio from corners and from everybody, whoever's in charge of that department and does all that deserves kudos. Like, they do a phenomenal job on their broadcast in terms of audio. So I, I do that for the Buccaneers Radio Network. And I'm the one that's controlling everything that we have going on from our, our you know, our, our play-by-play mic, our, our color commentator mic, our sideline mic, our field mics, you know, the, the, the sound effects that you hear on broadcast. I'm the one that's running all that. And, and you do have to have a, have a training ear for it. it. It's not an easy job. By the way, um, so uh, Friday night, I did go out. Um, I went to the same place that didn't have the PFL fights on the last time. And uh, it's a brand new place. Food is goddamn phenomenal. If you, you see it on my Instagram, I put I put a food photo the other day on my Instagram. I had their uh, their shrimp. Oh god, it was so damn good. But I'm sitting there and I'm going. I have the PFL fights on my phone because not one TV has the fights on. They finally put the fight on when Kayla Harrison was entering the cage. Wow! Now, That's, now, so somebody now, must have watched the Kayla fight. Is that about Kayla? Or is that about maybe someone just, you know, cause I just, I was like, you know, what? I'm not even going to ask the bartender. I'm more worried about you bringing me a beer. Yeah. <laughs> anything else. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. true story. True story. <laughs> That's a good story. One thing I'll say about PFL is this. Larissa Pacheco is like going to be a good UFC fighter one day. Like she's only 27, dude. Well, remember and, she, you know, she has already had one stint in the UFC. Yeah. Yeah. She did lose her like, two fights in a row, but. You know, I think she's going to be like a 135-er, and I think she's going to come back when she's like 28, 29, and she's going to have a good run. She's just, you know, completely outsized to Kayla Harrison, but Larissa is obviously the second-best fighter on that roster. I would put her above Bud. The the whole thing that I look at the PFL, and and look, and I think the PFL is doing some great things. One thing I would love to see in 2023 is how about we do 145? As opposed to 155, because let's be honest about it. All these fighters that are fighting at 155, they're 45ers. I mean, let's be honest about it. You, you've, you've created this division for Kayla Harris. And I know Ray Sefo mentioned about they're looking at bringing in women's flyweight and men's bantamweight uh, in, into next year. I mean, you know, it just, you know, it's just one of those things of, and, and maybe part of it is because I want to see Kayla fight 145 too. Maybe that's part of it. And, uh, you know, it's, we, I mean, we talked about last week to SB nominations and I'm still asking people. Tell me who Kayla Harris's best win is. It's Pacheco. Who went 0-2 well, in the UFC, by the way. Yeah, I know. She did go 0-2, but that was a long time ago. I mean, and also, like, she lost to Jermaine, and I believe the other person she lost to was pretty good, too. But at the, the yeah. end of the day, it's one of those things of Kayla is an extremely talented fighter. No one yeah. is going to deny that. Extremely talented fighter. But the problem is, is you have to look at the resume and I just can't call Kayla the best female fighter in the world because of her resume. Oh yeah. The, the opponents aren't there, but she might have the talent level. We just won't know now, until she fights the opponents. Now, if Chris Cyborg ends up in the PFL and she beats Chris Cyborg, now we have a different conversation. So Chris Cyborg has what? One more fight on her deal. Uh, I believe that the time frame that deal is up sometime this summer. So that could be a really juicy topic. And I think the PFL would outbid Bellator. I do too. I do too. I I think that they're going to look at that and say, for us to run a $50 pay-per-view, we have to have a fight that people will go out of their way to see. And when it comes to realistic fights they can make that can draw people, it's Kale versus Chris Cyborg. There's no question about it. Yeah, 100%. 
100%. And that is the only pay-per-view fight they can do. Yeah, I mean, that's... We'll see what happens there, but uh, that is to be determined there. Of course, I appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, leave us a rating and review. That helps out a ton. Of course, new episodes come out every Wednesday and Sunday. Sundays is the interview edition. The Wednesday edition is myself and Daniel talking about everything going on in the world of MMA. So that's going to wrap up for this episode of the podcast, which you can check out on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. <laughs>